got, I had a sermon yesterday. I thought, I, I always get, I think God just has a sense of humor. I really, really do. I think he really, really has a greater sense of humor than any of us ever know. Because I thought, I, this is so wonderful, Lord. You, you gave me a sermon several days in advance. This is just wonderful. And then I got up this morning. He said, that ain't it. So I said, okay, what is it? What is it? So I got another one. And I think this one is, is better. It's always better when it's, you know, the right thing. So the title of it is, Who Gets Miracles? Ooh, I liked it too. That's what I thought when he told me. I thought, yeah, I like that. And so just right instantly he gave me just ten examples that we all know. It's not complicated. But I wanted to put them and bring us to what we do sometimes with Bible stories is we religiousize them. Do you know what I mean by that? We don't think about them as if they were like today. And so we don't get all of out of it, them what we should get out of them. And we don't put them like they were in here and now. So I just want us to look at some of these stories that we all know and put them like they were just here and now. Like they were happening today. And see if maybe it will help us here and now today. Because that's what the Bible is. Even the Old Testament is given to us to be an example for us today. So if it's going to be an example for us today, then we should be able to see how it would work for us today. Right? So let's look at one of them in the New Testament that we do know. The feeding of the 5,000. Now, you don't even have to get your Bible out if you don't want to. They can put it on the screen or you already know it. We can just talk about it. We can have story time tonight, you know. Just don't get your PJs out. (laughs) You know, the feeding of the 5,000. How many of you know that story? Yeah, I remember when I first, Keith and I first got married, I started teaching uh, at Willie George's. And uh, I knew absolutely nothing about the Bible. I didn't know Genesis from Revelations. I didn't know that Matthew was in the New Testament. But the Lord dealt with me to start teaching the children. So, I mean, I would have to study worse than anybody would have to study. And I got in there and I made a mistake one time. And I said, like, uh, two loaves and five fishes or something. And one of the first graders corrected me. (laughs) Now, that's embarrassing. You know, this was 30 years ago, you know. But but, uh, it's good that our kids can learn things, you know, like that. And they can keep us on our toes. And I think it's the most wonderful thing that... We have teachers that will do that sort of thing. And if you don't know how to do it, hey, there's no better place than to learn than teaching the kids. Because I learned so much teaching the kids because they won't let you miss a lick. They'll correct you in a heartbeat. But anyway, Jesus fed the 5,000. Let me tell you what what happened in part of it. And um, I'll read it to you. You can look or they'll put it on the screen. Mark 6, 36. It says... Um, he sent them away that they may go into the country roundabout and into the villages and buy bread for themselves because they didn't have anything to eat. Eating's an issue, right? And he answered them and said, who's he talking to? His disciples and said, give them to eat. And they said unto him, now this is the people that work for him. Now listen to me carefully. We're putting it Here and now. This is the people that work for Jesus. 
they looked at Jesus and Witt said, Mrs. Moore, where are we going to get enough food to feed all these people? You want us to go spend all the ministry's money and get money, get food to feed all these people? Right? Is that what happened? It's exactly what happened. Then Rob said, what are we going to do with all of them? That's a bunch of people. How are we going to feed them all? Where are we going to find enough food at this late hour? But let me tell you what was really going through their mind. This is the Phyllis terminology. (laughs) They're just as tired as all these other people. Correct? They haven't eaten either. Correct? They don't want to do it. Well, did they? They didn't want to do it. They didn't want to fool with it. They thought, Jesus, just send them away. Then we can get something to eat. We can all go to bed and we don't have to fool with this. Huh? Today's terminology. You got a church full of people. You got a city full of people. Whatever. They hadn't eaten. Keith preaches till 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Hey, it's very possible. And we got here at 10 o'clock in the morning. And he looks at us and he says, Phyllis, you and Dave find something for these people to eat. They're hungry. Or he preaches till 5 o'clock the next afternoon. Y'all find something to eat. Is that unlogical something for him to do? What do we do? We go, God, Keith. Why can't we just send them home? Now, that's what my mind would think. What about yours? I'm just as tired as you are. I've been here just as long as you've been here. What does it take to get a miracle? Did these guys want to send these people away? You bet your bottom dollar they did. They didn't want to have to fool with how they were going to feed all these people, even if they got the food. Even if they were able to come up with enough food to feed 5,000. We fed 5,000 on Celebration Sunday. Now, we planned for that for a while. Now, even if you plan for it for a while, it's still a bit complicated. And it still takes a bunch of people to do it. And you still have to be pretty organized. They didn't want to have to think about that. They just wanted to send them home so they could rest. Read it in their tone. And they said to him, Shall we go buy bread? Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? Now listen at Jesus down in verse 39. You can tell by the tone of his voice if you read this, they're frustrated. How are we going to do this, Jesus? Verse 39. 
And he commanded them to make them sit down by companies. They couldn't figure out how they were going to do it. But somebody had to lead them. And he commanded them to make them sit down by companies on the grass. And so they sat down by ranks, by hundreds and by fifties. So what did it take to get a miracle? It took somebody to stay hooked. Not just think about all the things they were going to have to do, but somebody that was willing to do the things that it took to get it done. They didn't want to do it. Can't get frustrated. Think about Jesus and his staff, this very same people. He says, can't you just pray with me one hour? I can't get frustrated because I think about him. We've got all, we've got the best in the whole wide world. I, I believe that. I don't just say it, I believe it. But we could use, and I don't say this lightly, we could, we, we run our guys in the ground. People are afraid to come to work for us. Is it true? Listen to Susan over there. She, she's laughing so hard because they work. You don't come here and pretend to work. You gotta work. Because there's a lot of stuff to do. I mean, Jesus is coming. And we got work to do. And sometimes I just have to go away for a few weeks because I can tell I burn them out. I just have to back up a little bit, give them a break, let them catch their breath, and then we'll come back in and we'll start going again. Because there's a lot of work to do. Why was Jesus able to feed 5,000 people? It wasn't just the little boy's lunch. It's because he had people that would stay hooked with him and do what he said do. They had to go look and search out the little boy. Somebody had to. Then they had to get people to divide him up into the companies that he said do it. He had to have the proper help to do it. That's what we have. Okay, number two. Walking on the water. Y'all got too quiet then, see? Listen at y'all. Walking on the water. Matthew 14. Verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. Now that constrained word was interesting to me. So I looked it up. You want to know what it means? It says to compel by physical, moral, or circumstantial force. Now that said Jesus constrained his disciples. So I guess that meant Jesus forced his disciples to get into a ship. Am I reading it wrong? Did y'all get scared? I'm not going to make nobody do nothing. I promise. Nobody has to do nothing. Jesus himself constrained them. 
you'll get blessing out of this if you listen to it. He made them get in the boat. What happened in that boat? Verse 24. In the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. They had a storm. Would Jesus send you in the midst of a storm? It said Jesus forced them into the midst of the storm. He told them to get in the ship. Did he know a storm was coming? So why would he have them get in that ship? Did he know a test and a trial was going to come for them? But what did he also know? He also knew a miracle was going to come for them. There's people in this room right now believing for miracles. But you got to pass the test. Sometimes the tests are hard. Jesus didn't leave them. He knew it was going to happen. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He still sent them to see what they were made of. What did Peter do? I like Peter. Peter's not a chicken. Peter said, hey, is that you, Jesus? If it really is, I'm coming with you. I think it's you. And if it's you, that's where I want to be. Because I'm safer out there on those waves than I am here in this ship, if that's you. Is that right? So what did he do? Now, put yourself there, here, and now, today. There's a storm out on the little lake here. Not on the sea, but on the little lake here. How high I reckon the waves could get? Four foot ma- maximum? That'd be a big wave out here on this lake, wouldn't it? be a huge wave. Would you get out of a boat? <laughs> they hadn't seen Jesus ascend to heaven. They hadn't seen Jesus die. They were walking by faith that he was Jesus. Would you step out of the boat? On water. With the waves. Four foot high. How do you get a miracle? 
What do you got to keep your eyes on? Who do you have to keep your eyes on? Can you look at what everybody else in the boat is saying? And they're telling you, Kim, you're an idiot if you step out of this boat. You're going to drown. Reckon they were saying that? What about old Doubt and Thomas? Reckon what he was saying. How do you have a miracle? Who gets a miracle? The one that can shut everybody off and everything off around them and keep their eyes focused on the one that's talking to them. Not the circumstances and not the people around them. That's who gets one. Not somebody that's chicken. Not somebody that's concerned about what people are going to say. You're going to be one of those faith people? The next one. Taxes. How many of you got taxes going to be due? You want to know how to pay them? Matthew 17. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Do you not pay? Do you not? Your master paid tribute? And he said, yes. And when he'd come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon, of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or or tribute of their own children or of strangers? And Peter said of the strangers, and Jesus said unto him, Then are the children free, notwithstanding, lest we should offend somebody. Don't want to offend anybody. Go to the sea. Why are we going to the sea? Some of you in here should really, really like this one. It requires absolutely no work. It requires something that a lot of you like to do. And cast out a hook. And take up a fish. It's called fishing. Duh. That first comes up. And when he's opened his mouth, you'll find a piece of money and take it and give it to them for me and for thee. Is it hard for God to give you tax money? What's the issue? The issue is the tunnel vision that we have and that it can only come one way. 
It's going to come through my job and I'm going to work extra. Or it's going to come through. How did God get it to them? Can he do extraordinary things to take care of your taxes? That's what Dave was just talking about. You've sown enough. How many of you have ever sown in here? Look at that. My, my, my. Then do you think you can reap? What you've got to do is you've got to get your eyes off of you being the source of getting the money in for your taxes. You've got to get out of the blank and trust someone. What's that word? Mm-mm. Got to get out of the fear. F-E-A-R that you're not going to have it by April the 15th. Because God has lots of ways of getting it to you. What does it take to get a miracle? I'm telling you different ways that miracles happen. We're going to get into something else here in just a few minutes, but I want you to see... A pattern of things. You'll begin to see it here in a minute. A pattern of the way that things happened. What does it take to get a miracle? He went fishing and he caught tax money. Now how hard is that? Take a day off and go fishing and catch your tax money. Now, that's a bit different, isn't it? Do you reckon today? We're putting this in today's terminology. Your natural mind would think, I must work extra night and weekends to bring in some tax money. Huh? Do you reckon God might say, go fishing, take a day off. In the midst of you thinking with your natural mind, I need to work. Why would he do something like that? Because you're in fear and you're trying to do it yourself. And it might just pay some time just to rest. Faith is a rest. And sometimes fishing can be rest. I I don't do much fishing, but sometimes it could be a rest, right? I've seen some people that didn't look like they were much resting, but (laughs) when they were fishing. But, uh... It's supposed to be resting, right? But God might cause you to do just the opposite of what your natural mind is thinking to pay your taxes. Because what do you think this person 
would have thought? Do you think that they would have thought, go fishing? In today's society? Absolutely not. Okay? We're talking about fishing. Let's look at another one. The fourth one. Luke four, Luke 5. A huge catch of fish. Remember that story? He told them to... He'd use their boat. Right? To preach from. So he told them in verse 4, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or a draft or however you want to say that word. Everybody says it different, but for a catch. Now these guys, let's put them in today's society. They've been out fishing for a while. And they haven't caught anything. You've got employees. How many of you have got employees in here? Okay. Okay. We'll use Dan. He's got employees. Look at him. He rolls his eyes. He's got employees. And he tells them, let's see, they're building something. Okay. And he says, um, you need a house. Right? They say, yeah. He said, take this crew with you. Go over there. When you get there, all the supplies that you need will be there, and everybody will be there to help you build this house. Well, we've been over there four days waiting on the trucks to get there, and they say there's no supplies. They're out of all these supplies. But I'm telling you, go back over there, and it'll all be there. We've been waiting night and day. We're tired. We haven't eaten. But Dan's just a man, and he's telling them, go back over there and wait. What's their choice? How many you think will do it, and how many won't do it? Half and half? Zero? I mean, one of these guys was his disciple, but what about the rest of his crew? Do you think they're going to want to go out there all night? And it didn't just say go right on the edge. Notice what it said. Go out into the... That meant they're going to have to go a while to get back out into the deep water again. And they haven't been out there. They know what's out there. How do you get a miracle? You're tired. You've been there before. You've tried it before. You went to that church before. You went up in that healing line before. You sold your money before. You gave before. You prayed before. You've done all that before. How do you get a miracle? David and Goliath. Remember that one? 
Nobody remembers David and Goliath. Let's just break up and send them all back into the children's classes. David and Goliath. Does anybody remember David and Goliath? Okay, thank you. Thank you. First Samuel 17. David was just supposed to be taking him some lunch, taking him some food. You had a bunch of chicken people out there. A whole slew of them. There were supposed to be an army. You know that what that army represents? A lot of churches today. Unwilling to do anything it takes. Not ours. But we've been to a lot of them. We hear about a lot of them. Man, they can't get anybody to do anything. It's like they don't know Jesus is coming. And it's like they don't know that this is just... You know how Keith tells about that this is just a short period of time and like a day? It's like we're going to work hard for a day. And then Jesus is coming. We, we seem like it's a long time, but to Jesus, we've been working hard. How long? How many? Ten minutes? Yeah, a couple of minutes. Yeah. Eek. That could be a bit embarrassing when you get to heaven. Do you understand that? And you stand before the Lord and he says, you could work hard two minutes, Dad? Two whole minutes? That could be a bit embarrassing, right? I mean, think about all these other church members. Ours is not like that. Take my word for it. It's not. But there's a lot of churches you go to and they, nobody will help do anything. I mean, the pastor's still cutting the grass. It's sad. How many of you know churches like that? I mean, it's just really, really sad. And they're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, you couldn't for five seconds cut the grass? So anyway, David and Goliath, that's the way we're talking about. He said, hey, I'll go fight that Philistine. Not a deal to me. He's nothing to me. Easy. I'll fight him. What did he do? What if that were today? Take, for instance, the stuff, say, Brother Copeland and some of the other ministers have had to go through. What if that were you? There's been a lot, a lot, a lot of people that have pulled away from Brother Copeland because they don't want to fight the Philistines. I'll just stay back here till it's all over with, then I'll come back. You think they're going to be blessed with their finances if they won't even stand up for prosperity when one stupid news reporter says something about it? Not going to happen. How do you get the miracles? 
When a test and a trial comes, you got to know who the Philistines are. You got to know who your enemy is. And you got to be willing to stand up against them. Can't let them invade. Can't let them take over. Who are you going to side with? You going to be strong enough to stand up and fight? You going to be positive for what you believe in? Job. Ooh, now there's a book I didn't like to read, Dave. Job. What happened to Job? How did Job get back his stuff? Job complained that his family was gone. Job complained that his kids was gone. Job complained that his wife was gone. Job complained and Job complained and Job complained. How many of you remember? And all Job thought about was what? Him and his family. I'm going to turn my back. How many people that's all they think about is them and their family? Don't raise your hand. How many of you know somebody, let's put it that way, that that's all they think about is them and their family? Now everybody can raise their hand. Yeah. You just lied. You, didn't, you weren't here Sunday, were you? How many of you know somebody that that's all they think about is them and their See, now that's better. Yeah. Yeah. That's all they think about is what's going on with their kids and what's going on with their grandkids and what's going on with their job and what's going on with their this and they're sick and they're broke and they're this and they're... And you can't get around them, but that's all they're talking about. How do they get a miracle? Put it in today's, just like it was today. How do they get a miracle? How did Job get one? He quit thinking about himself and started doing what? It says right here, Job 42.10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. But that's not the best part of the verse. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as what he had before. So Job came out pretty good. But what did he have to do? Forget about himself. How do you get a miracle? Forget about who? Number seven. There was a woman who had some debt. Any of y'all remember her? Anybody in here ever had any debt? Don't raise your hand. 
Second Kings 4. She had lots of debt. And in verse 1, it said, The creditors are coming to get my kids. Now, what if the creditors were coming to get your kids, not just your stuff? Would that be sad? Some of you are saying no. (laughs) It would be sad. No, 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 no. Take it back. It would be sad. Yes, yes, yes. It would be sad if the creditors were coming to get your kids. Okay. But the prophet came, Elisha, and he says in verse 2, What can I do for you? He wanted to help her. And he asked her a question. He said, what do you have in your house? And she said, nothing but a pot of oil. Now, I was thinking a little bit about this, and I was thinking about today. You all remember the rest of the story. They filled the pots of oil, and they took them, and they sold them. How many of you remember the story? Yeah, I'm not going to get into it. They took the pots of oil and they sold them. And I was thinking about Celebration Sunday. And I know for a fact that everybody didn't bring something. I know it for a fact. Now, I don't see how everybody couldn't bring something. I mean, a can of SpaghettiOs. You could have brought something. I mean, and it's not me asking you to bring it. It's just that that's what the Lord directed us to do. Do you understand the difference? We'll go on. You'll understand it closer to the end. The next one. That was the here and now, in case you missed that point. The Shunammite woman. How many of you remember that story? Second Kings. Elisha would come through. And here's that word again. I thought it was really funny as I was reading this that I came up with it again. And she constrained him to eat bread. She forced him. To stop and eat bread. But she must have only had to do it one time. Because it says. And so it was. That as often as he passed by. He then turned in hither to eat bread. So it must have. Yeah. Been good bread as Mo says. Jack did you cook it? I think we'd all. Stop and eat it if it was him cooking it. So. He says no. So. But anyway. She talked to her husband. And she said that we need to make him a room. They called it a chamber and put him a bed and a table and a stool so that when he comes by, he has a place to stay. Why would she do that? Honor and respect. Why would she do that?
just seemed good to her, didn't it? Just seemed like she needed to do that. What did it benefit her? Well, later on, he came through and asked her what she wanted. And, of course, she didn't say nothing, but his servant knew she needed a child. Well, then later on, the child died. What happened? But listen to this. Listen to this. Of course, it said, you know, he said, my head, my head, and then he died. But listen to this. When Elisha went in there, verse 33, I want you to catch this real carefully. It said that he shut the door upon them twain and he prayed unto the Lord. And verse 34, he went up and he laid upon the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands, and he stretched himself upon the child and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and went up, and he stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. It said, he prayed to the Lord, and then he did thus and so. Got it? Y'all are sharp and quick. Did he do exactly what the Lord told him to do? So many times, it's easy to change little bits and pieces of what the Lord tells you to do. And like parts of it, and not like parts of it. I wonder if today... If you were in that situation and there was a lot of people around, how easy it is to shut the door, leave everybody out. People that's prayed for people before are shaking their head. Other people are just sitting there. It's not always the easiest thing to do. Their child is dead. Put yourself in this situation. The man of God comes in, he shuts the door, and he does what he wants to do with their child. What if it's your child? How game are you for that? Not with my kids. Not with my money. We'll move on. The woman with the issue of blood. How many of you remember that story? Was there a miracle? What did it take for her to get a miracle? Do you think that she had people around her telling her that she was going to die if she got up and went out there? 
Do you think she had people telling her in that day it was a sin for her to get around people? She was not supposed to be within so many feet of people. Much less the master. But what did she do? She listened to all of them and she stayed at home in her bed. She listened to what every doctor told her to do. Doctors are wonderful, but there comes a point in time. She listened to what every family member told her to do. She listened to what every friend told her to do. And she just laid there and died. How did she get a miracle? Did she have to break free from her family and friends in order to get a miracle? Did she have to break free from everything she knew and everything everybody was telling her in order to get a miracle? Is that easy? When you're standing for something and you're believing God for something, is it best to tell people about it? Sometimes it's not. Unless you know they're faith people and they're going to be believing with you. Sometimes people come up in families that you've got to be the one that breaks free. How do you get a miracle? Do you sit and listen to what everybody says negative? Who do you listen to? And number 10. This one Jesus himself did. John 2. Y'all know it. When they were at the great marriage in the Cana in Cana of Galilee, and they ran out of wine. And his mom says, What? Verse five. Whatever he says unto you, do it. Now look at verse 7 before I go on to something else for just a minute. It says, Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. Right? 
Now, what if that were today? Anybody? Fill the water pots with water. And they fill them to the brim. What if that were today? Today, this is what would happen. You'd have, I know, you'd have half of them standing over here trying to figure out. Now, you know what? If we fill them half full, then we can get us a pulley. And we can pulley them up through the window. Then we can rig this hose thing up. And we can finish filling them up once we get them through the window. And then you'd have the ladies over here. And they'd be figuring, you know what? If we get some smaller cups and serve them at the table with the smaller cups, they wouldn't be drinking as much. And we wouldn't have to fill as many pots because you know what? Those pots are heavy. And then you'd have this other crew over here, and they'd be saying something like, um, you know what, you reckon we could find some, some smaller containers to fill to the brim? Because when, by the time we get those filled to the brim, it's going to take four of us to lift them. And they just sat there for half a day having a conversation Instead of doing what Jesus said. It's a rare, it's a rare, it's a rare thing to find. People that fill the water pots and they fill them to the brim. But how do you get a miracle? Whatever he says to you. Now I'm going to sound like a broken record because it's what I've taught on every single time that I've been with you lately except for one time when I taught on the kids. Following the Holy Ghost inside of you. Now, every one of these stories that we talked about, think just a minute. Jesus fed 5,000 people. You say, yeah, that's Jesus. Who is our greatest example of following the leading of the Holy Spirit and doing what he saw his father do. How did he know exactly what to do? The Holy Spirit descended on him as a form of a dove. And his father said, This is my beloved son in him. I'm well pleased. 
So did he have the Holy Spirit? So do you think he listened to what the Holy Spirit told him to do before he told these people what to do? So how did Jesus himself have a miracle to feed 5,000 people? He did exactly the way the Holy Spirit told him to do it. Do you think he just chose and commanded his disciples to say sit them down into groups like this? He had a miracle because he followed what he had in his heart. Jesus himself. The next one, walking on the water. Jesus again. Do you think Jesus would have called Peter out of the boat? And Jesus himself would have been walking on the water if he'd have known Peter's going to sink? I have no doubts Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen when he told Peter to step out of that boat. And he knew Peter was going to have his miracle. And he knew it was going to be an example for us today if we would just keep our eyes on him. It wouldn't matter what storms we would be coming up against. It's the same as in the Old Testament, the example of the serpent on the pole. If you don't know the story, it's a good story for you to do a study and find out about. The paying of the taxes. How did Jesus know to tell him to go fishing? Do you have that same Holy Spirit living inside of you? What if you need tax money? What should you do? Will the Holy Spirit tell you and lead you exactly step by step what you should do to receive your tax money? Is there anybody that knows better than him? Will it most likely come differently than what you're thinking? Who has all the answers? All we have to do is do whatever he says do. And it's simple. Fishing's simple. They say that, but I, you know, I guess I don't hold my mouth right or something. But maybe he says to you, I know I was reading the testimonies this weekend, because I always read them whether I do them or not. And there was these people, they're probably sitting in here tonight. And there was these people, and they said, the Lord dealt with us to give away our sofa. Now, if we give away our sofa, we realized we'll be sitting on the floor. But we felt like the Lord dealt with us. Me, the lady said, I felt like the Lord dealt with me to give away my sofa. And so the next morning I woke up and my husband said, I had a dream that we gave away our sofa. 
And she said, well, you know we'll be sitting on the floor. Well, that day, they gave away their sofa. Well, they went to work. And the boss, one of their bosses said, you know what? We just got this new da-da-da-da-da-da for our house, and our living room set just does not match it. Would you guys come and get it so we don't have to haul it off or do something, da-da-da-da-da-da? Well, they didn't have to sit on the floor. They were all the time making a bad confession, but God spares you when you don't know. But what if they had not sewed the sofa? It pays to obey. One little step. What if God tells you, you have taxes to pay? And he tells you, March, give Jean $10. You think, I don't have an extra $10. I didn't ask you if you had an extra $10. I said, March, give Jean $10. But I need this $10 to eat on. I didn't ask you if you needed that $10 to eat on. I said, give Jean the $10. If I give Jean $10, I'm going to have to do without lunch. I didn't ask you about lunch. I said, give her $10. And see, that's what we do. God tells us to do something, and we and, and we but, and we think about it, and we figure it, and we try to work it out and change the pots and how we're going to get them in. And reason it out. Are the kids going to like the school? Are we going to be able to get a job? Everything under the sun except for what he said do. How long is it going to take? Are we going to have enough time? He didn't ask us any of that stuff. He just said, do this. That's all he said. He didn't say, sit there and think about it. He didn't say, see if it'll work. He didn't say, see if there's a better way. He didn't say, see if you're smarter than I am. He just said, Marge, give Jean $10. But you would be amazingly surprised at how many thousands of ways you can figure out why not to do that. I've got this bill, and I've got that bill, and I've got this, and I've got that, and then this is coming up, and that's coming up. One quadrillion, bazillion reasons why not to do it. And all he needed was you obeying him with that legal right for him to come in without question, total faith. Total, complete, instantaneous faith. And before she could get up out of her seat, take three steps down the aisle, Dan's caught her and said, here's a thousand dollars, pay your taxes. That's how quick God can move. I've seen it happen in our life so many times. He didn't ask us, did we like Branson? The answer was no. 
We didn't know Branson. Why would we like it? We liked Tulsa. He didn't ask us, did we want to pastor? The answer was no. I was perfectly content being with my husband all the time when he traveled. I miss him when he's gone. I don't like us being apart. But he didn't ask me. He didn't ask me if we wanted to go to Bible school. He told me. But you know what? We have been blessed beyond measure by all of it. I do miss Keith, but I know that there's seasons for things. And I know for every time that we are apart like this, I, I just sit back and I think about, and just before I got out of the truck, he's saying, you know how many people I'm ministering to tonight? And you know how many people you're ministering to tonight? Just think about it, Phil. Just think about it. He's on TV there. We're on TV here. Just think about what God's doing. I'll see you tomorrow. I mean, God's plan is so much better than what we can ever figure in our head. But you can't stop and think about it. If you stop and think about it, you'll mess it up. Every one of these people could mess it up. Every time. They were human. They could have thought of ways to mess it up. The way to get a miracle in your life is the moment he says... Don't answer your husband that way. Repent. Tell him you're sorry. Jump on it with both feet. Go give this to them. Jump on it with both feet. Don't take that. Jump on it with both feet. Don't think about it. You'll talk yourself out of it. Know that it's the Holy Ghost and do it. The devil is winning. It's real easy. It's, I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it any differently than it's just like me telling Dave to do something. Dave now has a choice. Does he not? He can do it 100% wholeheartedly with a complete heart, happily. Jump on it with both feet. Glad to do it, right? Or he can do it, not be happy about it. Or he can do part of it. 
Or he can change it. Or he can do none of it. Correct? You can do the exact same thing with the Holy Ghost. And then wonder why you didn't get from God what you were wanting. God only accepts it all. He knows your heart. He don't accept for Dave to do it and not want to do it. He don't accept for him to change it halfway. And modify it. He knows what he told him. And he knows what he knows. So how do you get your miracle for healing? Maybe he told you to go in that healing line and you didn't go. Pride. Maybe he told you not to go in that healing line and to stand. Maybe he told you to go to that doctor. Maybe he told you to quit going to that doctor. I heard the funniest thing on the news the other night. I have to tell it. They were talking about all these vitamins everybody under the sun takes, you know. I, never mind. Anyway, they said, um, most people just have expensive urine now, so. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. I think some are good for you, but I do think they overdo it. So, uh, but anyway, um, do what the Holy Ghost leads you to do. Not some person. That's my point. Every person, uh, and I also saw immediately after that, they said, it's no longer necessary to drink eight glasses of water a day. Did y'all see that? How many of you saw it? See, look at that. No longer necessary. Now, how many years have they been telling us it was absolutely necessary to drink eight glasses of water a day? Okay. Now it's no longer necessary to drink eight glasses of water a day. You know who knows it all about your body? The Holy Spirit. I've been telling you all that. The first series we taught, how to reach your physical goals. No doctor, no person, no human being knows your body like the Holy Spirit does. I don't care how good a doctor they are. And I like doctors. But I don't care how good a doctor they are. They're not Dr. Jesus and Dr. God. And he's the only one that built you, he made you, and he knows what goes with your body and what works for your body and what works inside of you. And he knows how much exercise you get and how much exercise you don't get. You can lie to a doctor and they can give you something wrong. It's like I saw this on the news. I saw these people that woke up during surgery. You know why they woke up? Because they lied to the doctor and tell them they didn't take sleep aids. So they didn't give them enough stuff to put them to sleep. I mean, you can lie to anybody. But the Holy Spirit knows you. So do you go to a doctor? Do you not go to a doctor? Do you take this? Do you not take that? He is the only one. No doctor knows if you have a heart murmur like... 
the Holy Spirit does. And somebody tell you to take this certain drug and you could have a heart attack immediately if you take that drug. You have a check about taking it, you don't take it. I don't care how many doctors told you to take it. You got something inside of you that's greater than any doctor in the world. Bills. Do you buy this or do you not buy this? Do you go in debt or do you not go in debt? That same person on the inside of you knows you. He knows what you will do. Nobody knows you like he does. And when you have that check, and you know what that check means, it's like, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And you're all the time overriding it. Stop it, don't do that, stop it. Just like when you get on that bad website. Stop it. You've got somebody living inside you that will help direct every moment of your life. If you obey that, you will have miracles happening in your life. I know just this week, I heard, I guess it was last week at Celebration Sunday, I heard about a man, and I don't want to call his name because I don't want to embarrass him. He said he started serving here, and he was embarrassed to serve here because of some things that were going on in his life. And people think we don't know what's going on in their lives. We pretty much know what's going on in people's lives when we ask them to do something. We knew what was going on in his life. And we wanted him to serve. He said because him serving here, somebody took him to dinner and gave him $20,000 worth of dinner work. Something he had on his vision list, something he was believing for. Now, how long did it take for God to do $20,000 worth of dinner work on this young man? About that long. Now, how long would it have taken for him to believe God and get extra work to pay for that? Quite a while. But what did it take for him to do to receive that? Obey. Not just because he was serving here. Don't get it mixed up. It took him listening to what God told him to do. God may be telling you, go to your neighbor and bake them a cake. I don't know. And fix whatever you did with them. I don't know what he told you. He may be telling you, go to your parents and fix whatever's going on with you and them. I don't know. But check your heart. And a lot of times there's things in there that he's been telling you for years. And you've been standing for something for years. It's not complicated. It is so easy with God. I wish, I wish I could explain to you how not messed up mine and Keith's life is. I wish I could explain to you how Keith and I don't fight. I wish I could explain to you how happy we are. I wish I could explain to you and make you believe how that we don't have any problems. 
We don't have any financial problems. We don't have any marriage problems. We don't have any problems getting along. We don't have any problems. The only problems we got is dealing with other people's problems. <laughs> and I'm not just telling you that to make you look at me funny. I'm telling you that because the word works. We've had all those things. We've been so broke we didn't even have a pot in our house that wouldn't freeze in the winter time. Keith had to go outdoors to an outhouse when I first met him. He didn't even have a telephone. We know what all that's like, but you can come from there to here by obeying. 100% wholehearted. God is faithful. He will not let you down. The only person that will let you down is you. Do you know how hard it is to turn a page and get up in the morning and start that day from the time you wake up and do exactly what the Holy Ghost wants you to do all day long? All day long. Think about it for just a second. That means not chewing out somebody at work. That means if you do apologize, you can lose your temper, but probably should apologize. Chastity corrected me the other night. She was so sweet in her sermon. She preached for us. I said, I'm sorry. And she said, no, apologize. She did so good. Think about your day. All day long. Try it. One day. One day, do exactly what the Holy Ghost wants you to do. If you mess up, repent. One day, see how much better you feel. If he says, don't watch that TV program, don't watch it. If he says, don't talk to that person that way, don't do it. If he says, read this chapter with your family, read it with your family. If he says, don't lie about that sale, don't lie. If he says, go give them $5, go give them $5. If you have to drive clear across town to do it. Don't procrastinate it. Do it. One day. See how it changes how you feel when you lay down in your bed that night. It'll change you so much 
that the next day you'll do it again. And then the next day you'll want to do it again. And then by the end of the week, you'll see how many things have started changing in your life and miracles have started coming your way. Because God's faithful. He will do it for you because he's faithful. That's how you get a miracle. By doing exactly what he says do and not changing it. You can't change it. You got to do exactly what he says do. Stand up with me. It sounds hard, but you know what? I know when I did some marriage counseling one time, this one lady told me, she said, our marriage is so messed up, I don't know where to start. I said, start here. What do you think is the most important thing to him? She said, that I get out of bed before he does. I said, okay, then do that. Just that one thing. And you know, that's the way the Holy Ghost will be with you. He won't overload you the first day. It's the way he is. God is faithful. He's not going to give you everything the first day and tell you you have to change everything in your life the first day. You make a commitment to him to do it. You'll find out how wonderful your first day is. And he'll make it real easy on you. He'll give you something that you enjoy doing. Some of them will be tests like Peter's was, like different ones are, because some of you are more mature than others. Depends on where you are. But you do it, and you'll be glad that you did. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I just lift up these guys to you. And I think you know my heart, how much I care about all these people that are in here, Father, and what I want for them. I want every need in their life met, Father. I want their bills paid. I want their bodies healed. I want their marriages strong. I want their kids free, Father. And I just ask you now that as they seek you through these next days, that you show them and you lead them each and every step that they are to take, Father. And then you give them the miracles that they need to overcome in every area of their life. Some of them have had kids that strayed, Father, for so long. Some of them have had marriages that's been hurting so bad they're ready to quit, Father. Some of them have had finances that they're just ready to throw up their hands, Father. Some of them have been sick in their bodies for so long they're ready to just give up. So I just thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers now and answering them with the miracles that we know that you are able to do in their lives here and now in Jesus' name. And everyone that agreed with that said, Father, I thank you that you are the miracle worker, that you can work a miracle quickly in my life. And all I have to do is obey you and put you first. And do what you say. And you'll do it for me. Because you love me. And I thank you for it. Thank you, Lord.